Hello and welcome to the Tablet Podcast. My name is Christopher Lamb, I'm the Rome Correspondent and I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anna Rowlands from the University of Durham who has been involved in the launch of Pope Francis's new encyclical Fratelli Tutti. Um, Dr Rowlands, or Anna if I can call you that, um, thank you for, for, for joining me. Can you tell me um, about this encyclical, what to you is the most important takeaway from this document? Um, So thanks for the uh, the chance to have the conversation. Um, I think that Pope Francis feels a sense of urgency about the moment that we're in right now. And I think that urgency is around a moment where he feels that the drift of the world is so in the opposite direction of the things that we most need for our, frankly, in some cases, survival, but also for our flourishing and our development towards the common good. And I think he feels we're at this crossroads. I think it's very deliberate that he chooses these particular namings, brother, sister, neighbour, friend. They're scriptural namings, and they're ones that have run right the way through his papers. It's not the first time he's used this language, but I think he feels an urgency in pointing out to us that that kinship language, the sense in which we are radically equal, and called not just to a kind of facile equality, but called into relationships of love and communion. And he feels that there is a kind of cynicism um, and a deliberate knowing worldly refusal um, of that simplicity of thought. Um, So I think it's back to that absolutely simple, almost contemplative insight of Francis of Assisi, that to look at the world with the gaze that says and sees that we are all uh, sisters and brothers, um, it just is the card that brings the house down and rebuilds it. So the encyclical also in its political vision is clearly a big challenge to a number of Catholics in the church, particularly people in the United States, people who may have held the whip hand in the church for some time. Is that deliberate? Well, one of the sections that is newest and freshest is the chapter on um, a new form of politics, a new kind of politics. And it's absolutely undeniable that that's where he's saying something really fresh. And he's not saying something fresh in the sense that it's a departure from previous teaching, but it's an appropriate development of it. And I think he's absolutely clear that an entire model of politics, not simply politics in one country, one nation, but an entire model of politics has badly lost its way. And he talks openly about a culture of political love Um, And he contrasts that to political narcissism. And I think it's the sharpness of that analysis of political narcissism that will bite. You know, and I mean, I'm a theologian, so I would say this, but it it has real echoes to me at the sort of Augustinian reading. So we think of this as being Francis, you know, honouring St. Francis. But this is pure Augustine city of God stuff. This is two cities, a heavenly city, love of God and neighbour, an earthly city, love of self to the point of contempt for neighbour and God. And it's manifest, it manifests itself as narcissism. Augustine's really clear about this. So it feels to me like a really contemporary reading of that dynamic that plays out. And it's really clear that he's doing that, to my mind, when he talks about the difference between a culture that's about domination, a lust for domination and control over others, that manipulates information, manipulates and exploits people, and one that's about gift exchange, that's about covenant. Um, and that, again, is you know brilliantly straight out of uh, Augustine's City of God. So sure, it's a challenge to what's happening in the States, um, you know, but it's also a challenge to both liberalism and populism. And that, for us, is a global movement at the moment. This is not something which is isolated to one political uh, context. 
Okay, and what do you think it means for the church's engagement in politics? The Pope is very clear about uh, the need to abolish the death penalty. He's very clear about his, his critique of the free markets. He's he also talks about a re, in a very restrictive way about just war theory, suggesting that really there is very little justification for that traditional um, justification for war, as it were. What does it mean for the church's engagement with politics? Well, um, I'd like to pan back a bit to answer that question because I actually think that the two things which are most radical about this document in relation to politics is the fact that he begins with the universal destination of goods as the foundation of the ethical order and ends up at the end of the story with a vision of communion. So this is doubly demanding. It's demanding in its starting point and demanding in its end point. So its starting point, the universal destination of goods, his argument is we need to rethink international relations and we need to rethink political institutions and cultures from the basis of accepting that the goods of the earth are destined for the good of all in a just share. Therefore, where there are those who are excluded by structures of inequality, by their country of birth and their experience in that context, particularly rights by refugees and migrants in that context, there is a need for a radical reordering based on that principle. So he wants the UN reformed, he wants international cooperation and governance structures reformed, he wants human rights norms reformed, he supports human rights, but he wants them reframed according to the principle of the universal destination of goods. That's not generally where we start our politics from, mm -hmm. and that radical Catholic call is absolutely the heartbeat and baseline of this. That really changes things. At the other end of the equation, he's absolutely clear that just sort of uh, partnerships and forms of basic strategic cooperation according to self-interest is also not what will bring real political transformation. So his argument is that love is an appropriate ethic for politics, which of course liberalism refuses. You know love is not a political ethic, that's a, a matter for the private sphere. But he's clear that just wages, decent work, um, uh, rights and, and protection of rights and acting of obligations, all of those things make sense only when you think of them as a movement outwards from the self towards the seeking of the good of the other. And he's drawing directly on Aquinas there. The end of that political journey is communion, it's a relationship of, of unity and belonging uh, between individuals. So he sets this enormous theatre for what politics needs to be and this extraordinary goal for what political institutions uh, need to achieve. And he talks about the way in which that's not a naive kind of idealism, it's not a kind of utopianism to be mocked, which he thinks is the way we're turning culturally, but it's an entirely reasonable way of imagining that you can achieve liberty, equality and fraternity. So that kind of narrative of liberalism which it sets for itself, he's pretty clear liberalism cannot live up to its own goals because it tends to privilege economic power because it's weak on fraternity. Equally, other options that are available to us ideologically to guide our politics right now, populism, globalism, they all fall short for other reasons that he talks about in the text as well. So he feels that we lack a convincing political storyline and we lack a real sense of the beginning and the end of our political storyline. So you get the sense when you read the encyclical that the Pope is trying to say that, that politics is not a bad thing. He, he doesn't engage in that denigration of politics that we often Correct. hear. Um, he really believes in the vocation and mission of politics. What would you say to people who say, well, look, look the Pope should stay out of politics, you know, this is, this is, this is too political. But, but this is obviously someone who has thought deeply about how structures 
political structures work. What do you say to people who say the Pope just set up politics? Um, well, there's two things in response to the question. The first is that one of the things that makes Catholic social teaching distinctive on politics is that it insists that politics is not just a it's not just a dirty business. It's not just a consequence of sin or the fall, as some traditions would have it, or in a secular sense, it's just about brokering interests and it's a dirty business. What Catholic social teaching says is that politics is part of that order of love and so it's part of the way in which we negotiate with each other about the common loves, the good things that we want to structure our lives together and this whole document is woven through with that vision of the political that politics is negotiation and what we're negotiating over is not a fight over finite resources but rather it's a conversation about the kind of goods that we want to pursue together. What are the worthy loves that we want to build a common life around? That's a really distinctive part of the Catholic social teaching tradition that people don't really get on politics. Now partly for that reason, the reason that um, you know Pope Francis thinks that politics is something the church should be involved in is that it is one of the key ways in which we build relationships with each other publicly. It's how we uh, access goods and secure them for ourselves and it's how we pass on to future generations culture, rootedness um, and you know forms of institutional life and so for him it's simply part of how you pursue a life of encounter that builds relationships towards a common good and it's as true of our personal relationships which is structured by covenant marriage as it is true of public sets of, of relationships and I do think that's why he uses this phrase social friendship so strongly is that he wants to make clear that there's a golden thread that runs through from the kind of friendships and relationships we have in our personal lives to those that structure our public well-being there is um, an analogy there's a relationship between those they're part of a seamless whole now you were on the platform today presenting this encyclical next to cardinal parolin the vatican secretary of state number two in the roman curia um you're also, I'm sure, aware of the uh, criticisms that have been levelled about the title of this encyclical um, for not having gender-inclusive language. What is your response to those criticisms? I think if we start from where the Pope was starting from in writing this document um, and we think about his papacy, I think what was in his mind was that he wanted to gather together the kind of range of inspirations that have guided his papacy and, and Francis of Assisi is absolutely key to that. I think people don't realise how much Francis's social teaching is guided by a contemplative, prayerful and strongly nation way of discerning the spirit of the age. Um, and I think for him, Francis's insight, we are brothers and sisters all, is a prayerful insight that, that was his way of bringing together these different threads of his papacy. So I think it was probably simply an obvious place for him to go. I think the question then becomes one about the politics of language and frankly, you know, this is where we are at historically in the age of Me Too, questions about decolonisation, questions about identity politics. We are so bound up, whether it's from a secular perspective or a religious perspective, with the politics of language. And so is the title of this document. It is embedded in its age, in its moment, and we cannot resolve that. We, we were unable to resolve that tension. Now, the spirit of the document itself is, first of all, about the power of naming, that it matters how we refer to each other. Brother, sister, neighbour, friend, that's the whole point of this document, is the power of naming to change our relationships and bring greater justice. So the question of gender has to be on the table as a matter of discussion generally within the CST frame. 
Um, and I think the document encourages that drift if you look at its actual content. So if you take the letter of the document seriously, it would mean that we would have to wrestle with, um, inquire about, think through these questions of language and naming, of inclusivity. And there's an invitation to do that. Um, and fortunately, you know, um, history is not yet done with us. This is an incremental journey. Um, and I think that the content of the encyclical itself is the most inclusive of any that we have had so far. Um, and it's a step in the right direction. And the rest of it needs to be a matter of the ongoing reception of this document and an encouragement to precisely an open questioning and debate about how language remains a form of power for us. So good for that. Now, finally, you, um, after the presentation of the encyclical, you went to the Casa Santa Marta, the Pope's residence, for, for lunch, and you, and you got to see the Pope. Can you tell us anything of your time with him? Um, well, the Pope was in very good spirits. Um, he was uh, in uh, appropriately um, light-hearted form, uh, but also deadly serious about the importance of the encyclical and its meaning to him. And he did talk to us about the way in which, you know, there's this threefold movement, um, you know, in the encyclicals um, from Evangelii Gaudium as an apostolic exhortation and um, into Laudato Si and, and, and this. And he feels that this is a, a development and a kind of summation of where he wanted to go with this papacy. So I think actually there's a sense of um, something really significant with this um, this kind of trilogy um, of teachings and, and he wants the world to see what he's doing with that. So he talked to us a bit um, about the significance of that for him. I did um, inform him that I was a Manchester United fan and that did not go down well. So he informed me that to be a Manchester United fan must mean that I'm a woman with a sense of humour. So I took that in the best spirit that I possibly could. Okay. Well, um, Dr. Rowlands, Anna, thank you very much for uh, being with us today uh, in Rome and to, to talk about this encyclical. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast despite the background noise, um, some children here playing and bells going off. But um, thank you for joining this tablet podcast and do keep uh, looking out for the, the podcast on the tablet. Thank you very much.